Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I just want to speak to you briefly this morning. Of course, pastors have said that before. I have said that before. But I just want to speak to you briefly this morning to set the table for the feast that's yet to come this week, Holy Week. And last week, we focused on the forgetfulness of God, how God forgets our sins, and how we, by His grace, seek to remember not the things of old, whether it be our past faults or our past feats. But today, today I want to focus on remembrance. And in particular, one specific moment from that long gospel that we we heard of our Lord's suffering, His crucifixion, and His death. I want to focus on one moment in particular in which a man's entire life is transformed. I want to ask you this. How late in life, how late in life can a life be recovered? Can a life be reversed? Now we know how the opposite happens, how late in life things can go south, how someone can make a disaster of their life even to their very last days. You think of those people in the news who make a a public disgrace of of themselves in their last days or of good people who have gone awry. Unfortunately, we have way too many examples of people who at the end of their lives manage to squander and to ruin what came before. But can it ever go in the opposite direction? That something happens at the very end and all the evil and all the wrong and all the bad that came before it suddenly gets reversed. For good. This, I submit to you, is what we see in this gospel reading. Luke tells us that there's two men who were crucified alongside Jesus. We don't know a lot about these guys. Luke just says that they were um, evildoers. Matthew tells us that they were robbers. Whatever they were, suffice it to say, these were not good men. And the one of them, the one of them, he gets on the cross beside the Lord and he just joins with the rest of the crowds and he continues heaping on scorn on the Savior. He continues on his path to perdition. But the other man, for whatever reason, as he is hanging there on the cross, has a moment of clarity. He sees in Jesus Not a wrongdoer. He says, this man is innocent and indeed as no mere man, but as he truly is. And so he wants to make a request of the Lord. But how is he going to do that? How could he possibly ask anything of Christ at this moment, in this place, when his guilt is there for everyone to see? He is laid bare and exposed before the world, even if God could not see his heart, as indeed he can. It's there for everyone to see that this man has squandered his life with wrongdoing. He is there for his guilt on the cross. How could he possibly make any request of the Lord? He doesn't have a leg to stand on. So I think that accounts for for the, the poignant simplicity of his request. Jesus, he says. And even the way he addresses him. In fact, this is the only place in the Gospels 
where the Lord is simply and solely addressed as Jesus. Everywhere else, it's Jesus, Son of David, Jesus, Son of God, Lord Jesus Christ, etc. This is the only place in the Gospels where he's just Jesus. As if this man knows that all he's got is an insufficient little flicker of faith, and he has so little to offer that he just wants to, to offer up this, this heave of hope. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. It's like he's saying, Lord, I don't have strong faith. You can see what I have made of my life. I can't even confidently say that I will remember you, but maybe, Lord, maybe, Jesus, you might remember me. And the response of the Savior couldn't be more disproportionate or outsized. He, he meets this man's little flicker of faith with a flood of grace. Today, I say to you, you will be with me in paradise. In that moment, just like that, this man's entire existence has been transformed for eternity. This thief has been stolen back from the jaws of hell and reclaimed for the kingdom of God by Christ. Just that quick. All he offered was that little heave of hope and his heave is received by God. The God who said, the bruised reed I will not break. The smoldering wick I will not snuff out. His heave is hurt. But you know, sometimes I can forget this. What I mean is, as a, as a pastor, my passion, why I do what I do, is I want to help people to fan that little flicker of faith, to fan it into flame. I want to help people to grow deeper in faith, not to be content with just that little heave of hope, to be, be able to give a, a full-throated, strong confession of faith. That's where I want to, to lead you all. But sometimes, sometimes all you've got is that little flicker. Sometimes all you can offer is a little heave of hope. A while back, I'm, I'm visiting with a man who's homebound, uh, call him Alan. And Alan, his whole life long, had been a pious, devoted Christian, knew his scriptures backward and forward. But as he got older, his mind was slipping. And we're sitting there in his family room and um, talking or trying to talk about his life, his career, and so on. And I say trying to talk about it because he can hardly get through a single sentence without forgetting some basic fundamental detail. And he can't get through a sentence without apologizing over and over again. I can see on his face that he feels this kind of guilt and shame about the whole thing, which of course he didn't have to do, but there it is. 
So in my infinite pastoral wisdom, I think, okay, okay, let's go to the scriptures and let's read some Bible together and maybe that will help him because I'm thinking this is some firmer ground. Here's a guy who knew his Bible. So we turn to the scriptures and I try to engage him in conversation to talk about what we're reading and I can tell he, he just can't do it. And I can see the, the shame that is welling up in his heart like he's thinking in his mind, here I thought I was a Christian. And I can't even remember these basic scripture passages. I can't answer the, the most fundamental questions about my faith. I can see on his face him wondering, am I really one of God's in that moment? Again, he shouldn't have had that feeling. There's nothing that he could do about it, but there it is. But then I read to him from Luke's account of Jesus' suffering and death. And when I did, I could see his face starting to change. And I thought to myself, oh no, what have, I, what have I done now? What have I said now? But it turned into a smile. And he says this. He remembers me. He remembers me. There are those days when all you can offer is a heave of hope. And when we all have in our hearts that prayer like the, the man in the Gospels who said, I believe, how my unbelief. And you can hardly keep the family together and there's, there's chaos at work and there's troubles all around you and you think, Lord, I don't know if I'm going to make it another day. But then we hear this heave of hope that's heard from the Lord. He remembers you. How could he forget? It says in Isaiah, God says, Can a woman forget her nursing child, that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hand. Your name is engraved on the nail-pierced palms of the Savior. You are on His heart forever. Which is why He gave us this gift that He gives us today, that He instituted this week. We celebrate the Lord's Supper in our remembrance of Him to try and stoke our faithful memories of Him. But even more than that, it's a reminder that He remembers you. And this is why we call this week what we call it, Holy Week. Because this is the week where our Lord, through His death and His resurrection, made you holy and wholly His. He will never forget it. Amen. May the peace of God that surpasses all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. We stand to sing.